It's time for another exciting, enthralling, stupefyingly monotonous, and entirely unnecessary episode of TV Chinwag. Please welcome your hosts with the meh, Ryan and Jules. Good afternoon, Jules. How are you, my love? Uh, well, it's very good morning here on the other side of the world, Ryan. The caffeine is uh, seeping into my veins as we speak. Uh, so I'm ready to talk TV, I think. Before you do that, tell me, what's the future like? The future's fantastic. So it's actually uh, mid-morning Saturday here. Uh, the apocalypse hasn't happened and the sun came up. So uh, once you in the Northern Hemisphere catch up, uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Oh, I hope so. Oh, I hate living in the past. <laughs> well, you know, I can always give you the heads up. <laughs> yeah, well, you Aussies are always way in the future. Yes. I mean, not, that's, not on the game. That's not the on, scary not... thing. When, when Australians <laughs> are your future, that's a dystopia <laughs> that uh, you really don't want to that's visit. That's right. <laughs> Obviously not, not politically speaking. Uh, or no, we're certainly like not the or... future politically speaking. And in fact, at no. the moment, we're in about 1855. That's great. That's yeah, great. not so much. But uh, that's why I like to escape to TV. Speaking of TV, welcome to the second episode of TV Chinwag, where every week we take two of the most popular shows on TV, we break them down for you, and we tell you what's good and what's not so meh. <laughs> How's that for an opening? Oh, hey, I'm thrilled I'd listen. (laughs) Yes, totally unsubstantiated opinions on your favourite shows. Some of the shows you haven't heard. Um, If you're just uh, discovering us now, our first episode was on Fargo and Penny Dreadful. Um, I just, having seen episode seven now of, of Fargo, Please, everyone, go and watch Fargo. It's an extraordinary show. Go and listen to our podcast, uh, episode one, about why you should watch it. Yeah, it was. Um, it's it's pretty it's pretty epic. I don't think that anyone's gonna be um, fighting us on that one. Uh, it's 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 great. I just tweeted with, oh, not to drop names, but um, um, one of the showrunners of Haven, uh, or he was previously. He's not anymore. Um, Sam and. Uh, he was talking about the other show that we re- reviewed, which was Penny Dreadful, and said that he was really enjoying it. I said, make sure you check out Fargo. And he said, brilliant, genius, loved it. Best best show on TV. I don't think I disagree. Oh, no, definitely not. Um, but you want to get into some news now about other television shows? All right, what do you got for news? Well, a bit of casting news, of course. We're in that period where um, some shows are coming back. We've got uh, pilots that got picked up. Uh, Sons of Anarchy, of course, will start back in the next couple of months uh, for its last and final season seven. Uh, I know you don't watch Sons of Anarchy, Ryan, but um, some point in your life, I'm sure you will catch up with it. Uh, casting news for season seven, interesting as always, Marilyn Manson joins the cast. Yeah, um, I saw that. Yes, as a white supremacist. And Annabeth Gish, who uh, long-time genre fans will know as Monica Rays from The X-Files, the last couple of uh, seasons that we prefer not to talk about of The X-Files, um, most recently seen on the American remake of the Dutch TV series The Bridge, and she'll be playing the new sheriff in town in Sons of Anarchy, uh, because, of course, the last sheriff was one of the many person who uh, met his demise at the end of season six. Very high body count on Sons of Anarchy. Um, other casting news, John Wesley Shipp, 
Now, some people will remember him. I certainly don't. Apparently, he played The Flash in a 1990s CBS version um, of the comic strip Hero. Did you watch that at all, Ryan? I don't think I ever heard no, of that. No, no, I was, I was totally blank. Anyway, he's been... Um, He's been cast to play Barry Allen, i.e. The Flash's father, in the new CW series, which is getting a lot of buzz about the pilot. Um, Just to do my name dropping on Twitter, when I saw his casting, I tweeted to a friend um, that I had mistakenly read that as Wesley Snipes, uh, which I I thought would be extra awesome casting, to which the actual John Wesley Ship replied, yes, I used to get mail at the WB back in the day addressed to Wesley Snipes. So um, Twitter, where you never know who's listening. That's right. Everyone's listening. Yeah, it's fun that way. Um, my last bit of exciting casting news was for Sleepy Hollow coming back for season two. Um, now this is sort of an obscure bit of casting, but there's going to be a new uh, a new sheriff in town because, of course, um, Frank. Er- oh, oh, oh! Haven't watched it all. Oh, okay. So there's a new character <laughs> which I won't mention. Spoilers. Come on, the whole season is over. Get over yourself. I'll, I'll have to catch up. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. there's a new character who I shan't say who she is, but she's played by an actress called Sakina Jaffrey, who you're all going, yes, never heard of her, so what? Well, Sakina is the daughter of Madda Jaffrey. Yes, I can still hear the the uh, crickets out there. But Matt and Jeffrey uh, both have done some acting herself, but is primarily known as a chef and was hugely responsible through the um, late 80s and 90s for huge series of uh, cookbooks, particularly popularising real Indian cooking, not the bastardised version that um, we in the West had been chomping on for years. And as a foodie myself, Matta Jaffrey is one of my heroes, and I'm looking at now uh, half a bookshelf full of her books. So... That was my hmm. culinary connection to Sleepy Hollow. Wow, that's really cool. That's a oh. that's a. Have you now? Have you seen her in any anything else? No. Okay. Um, but uh, I'm now looking forward to seeing her on Sleepy Hollow. Um, I have some not necessarily news, but um, we were talking with our friend, you and I, our mutual friend Robbie Thompson, the other day, and he was talking, or he was putting on Twitter that he had a script that was picked up for development or or at least picked up a pilot for development on the TNT network. So I visited TNT to see, you know, what kind of shows they they were putting out and what sort of things they were doing and I'm telling you I am blown away by the stuff that TNT is going to be coming out with in the next year. Oh, so. do tell. Some really amazing stuff. Um some it looks like really big budget stuff. There's a a show that's coming out that actually starts I believe it's next in June, the middle of June, called The Last Ship. It's actually a Michael Bay uh, produced Ooh. show. It's about a well. I'll read you their logline. Actually, it's when global pandemic wipes out over eighty percent of the planet's population, the crew of a lone naval destroyer must find a way to pull humanity from the brink of exa- ex- extinction. Ooh. Um. So interesting. They're on a boat. They're trying to save the world. Everyone's half dead. And Eric Dane uh, is starring. Uh, Rona Mitra and uh, Adam Baldwin. Oh, which is interesting to see Adam Baldwin again. Always good to see Adam Baldwin. They're producing a show called Legends, which stars Sean Bean, who plays He'll a die. secret agent type. 
<laughs> well, hopefully. He's the main character. I, I think should last more than the, the, Ooh, the first season. Oh, they're brave, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. He plays a secret agent type who's lost his memory and is on the run. So sort of like a born identity Ooh, kind of Oh, good. Thing. Like a bit of spy they're drama. They're producing a show called The Librarians, uh, starring Rebecca Romaine. Now, is this based uh, on the, um, I believe they were... May have been a mini series, but also the series of movies. A good poll. It absolutely, it is. Ah, okay. Yeah, on the Librarian series of movies starring Noel yes. Wiley. Which I don't have you um, seen. Two thousand four. Yeah, I've seen the first two. Yeah. Quest for the Spear and the Return to King they Solomon's were good Vine. Good fun. They're they're good. They're good fun. They're absolutely. Um, so this should be really interesting. Noel Wiley will reply replies the same role. Uh, Flynn Carson, and he he won't be in every episode, but it's a recurring role. Um. I think that should be a really fun movie to watch, uh, or fun show to watch. Um, they're doing a, the Transporter, the TV series. They're coming oh! out, which should be interesting. Oh, um, I, I am a huge Transporter fan. I, are you really? Oh, oh that's yes. great. Oh, anything Jason Statham's in, I adore. And right. yeah, if you haven't seen those movies, seriously, they are a huge treat. Yeah, I like them a lot. Um, they're produ- so that's another one. I hope it's done in the same vein. I really love the first Transporter because it was, um, was it a French production? Yeah. yeah and it, you know, it was quite different than an American one. So hopefully they stay with that. Um, they're also developing a series called Proof, which is about a female surgeon, uh, played by Jennifer Beals, mm-hmm. oh, I'm uh, on board. who she's, is... Persuaded to investigate cases of reincarnation and out-of-body experience and hauntings mm. um, from a doctor's perspective. Looks interesting. One that I'm super excited about is called Public Morals, which is sort of, I think it's a 1960s, 1970s uh, crime drama uh, where it's about cops and the mob and mixing the, the two. Okay. Um, looks like it should be That's pretty a interesting. Reminiscent Ed- of uh, intelligence, then maybe the uh, Canadians. Well, I, does you get that vibe s- off it, perhaps? I, yes and no. This one looks a little bit older. It's it's almost uh, like um, remember that movie that came out, Public Enemies. Oh yeah, yeah. So Johnny Depp or whomever that was, sort of like that, where it's um, mob centric in New York, uh, and I think it might take place in the sixties or seventies. I'm not sure. Um, or, or earlier, it looked a bit dated. I, I only watched a, a short clip of it. Uh, starring Ed Burns, uh, Michael mm. Rappaport is in oh, it. Oh, cool. Uh, Steven Spielberg is executive producing for whatever that's <laughs> worth, and it comes out in 2015. Mm, so TNT. And then early, early, so, I mean, there's there's lots of stuff coming um, that Robbie Thompson, of course, is uh, based on Stephen King franchise Firestarter, and it's called The Shop. Yeah, so it's sort of a, um, not a sequel, but set in the future of, um, the the Firestarter verse, and I think he's doing that with, sorry, the names escape me, but someone he worked with on Jericho, perhaps. Jericho, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd be excited to see how that goes with development. Robbie Thompson, of course, being a writer on the TV show Supernatural. And Jericho. Yes. Previously, and they're also developing a show uh, based on Jake and Amir characters from College Humor, which is a web series, mm. uh, a comedy web series, and. And also a popular podcast, uh, Jake and Amir have, um, which is sort of shot to the top of the charts in the six months that they've been out. Really funny guys, young, original, um, totally worth watching. And I think they're they're going to be very popular when people catch on to who they are. So is that more a scripted show or is it sketch comedy or? 
you know, they, they've been doing sketch comedy where they'll do a three minute, you know, they'll write a script, but it's, it's a three minute. They play the same characters. Right. Amir plays a, a weirdo and Jake's the straight man. And uh, they work together in an office type oh, situation. Cool. So I think it'll probably be based on that, but um, they haven't really said much more than that at this point. But fingers crossed. I, I, I think it, I hope it'll be good. Um, that's a nice segue going from uh, something that began on the internet, that something that may pop up again. Uh, broadcast on the internet, which is community. There's um, some buzz around at the moment that Sony, who owns the property, is in talks with Hulu to perhaps do the legendary, or should I say mythic, season six of community. Should community continue? Do you care, Ryan? Well, I started watching community in the first season and I dropped it. Um, I, I liked it. It was fine. It just... Half-hour comedies don't last long on my plate when I have all these other things to watch. And it, although it was very funny, I just couldn't get much out of it. Um, um, yeah, I was. I would like them to come back. From what I've what I've heard, what people have said, they do really cool stuff on that show. Yeah, really interesting scripts and and things like that. Certainly, the first few seasons in particular, uh, which they continued doing that, playing with form, playing with genre, uh, very meta. Um, particularly in the first, say, three seasons. Um, I I found it tended to... It was like something that started as something... Real, a show that started as being very different and then started circling around to being a bit more predictable sitcom. Um, the For me, the sort of schmaltzy uh, factor uh, got a bit too high uh, once you're thinking of all the characters as being cute. Um, it, it lost a lot of its edge for me, but it's had a huge following. And Dan Harmon, of course, I mean, it's had huge behind-the-scenes drama. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what with the various uh, conflicts with Chevy Chase, who then left the series, right. Dan Harmon, who got sacked from his own series and then brought back for season five. Right. Um, yeah. He made an interesting uh, post on his uh, Tumblr blog saying that, uh, uh, look, he would certainly be open to to being part of something going forward, but he was very cynical about, uh, you know, the system and feeling that, uh, you know, fans were, again, being put or the audience being put in a, a position of sort of being exploited and not necessarily ending up with the the products that they if you like, got on board and, and loved in in the beginning. So it'll be interesting. You know, I'm interested to see how it goes. Um, we'll probably talk in a few weeks about the TV show The Killing, which has uh, had a number of incarnations and look like and will reappear on Netflix. And, you know, we're really starting to see more of this crossover of, of broadcasting between uh, the internet and, and television in these formats, which is something even, you know, two or three years ago was unheard of. Yes, and and I think we're going to see more and more of that. I mean, we're going to talk about one of the shows uh, today, uh, which is Dust Till Dawn, the series, which in Canada was released only on Netflix. Um, although in the states it was it was released on a network. But this is the sort of thing going forward that we're going to see more and more of, where television shows become independent outside of of who's paying yeah. them and, and take on a life of their own, which I think is the way it has to be. Uh, yeah, well, it's a, you know, it changes the business model for sure. And um, it'll be interesting, you know, in a few years time, um, you know, we'll be probably not distinguishing between these different platforms as far as talking, well, you know, we're, we're almost not already about talking about where shows get, 
get broadcast. So exciting times. Very exciting. And it takes me back. I mean, it was not that many years ago. What was it? 2007 when the writer's strike uh, was on in the the US, which particularly was around... um, the the money that writers would get from shows being broadcast on platforms other than television. Uh, And, you know, you can certainly see now how important uh, that is. And, you know... uh, Absolutely. And at the time, I was very naive, thinking like, oh, who cares? The, you know, rights of online... Who watches television online? Very few people. You know, we're talking pre-Netflix and Hulu and all those sort of things. So um, yeah. uh, just a little dip of the hat to those writers who really stood their ground. Um, you know, I'm sure looking back now, they they probably think they could have even fought harder, but at least that was the, the foot in the door. And there was obviously some people with a bit of vision um, involved to recognise that, uh, you know, what, what we consider broadcasting would uh, expand far beyond television. Mm-hmm. So, what are we going to talk about this week, Ryan? Well, how about we talk about the television HBO drama Game of Thrones? <gasps> I've heard of that. It's got the longest opening in the history of the world. <laughs> and uh, as someone... Now, I should say, I've read the books. Ryan hasn't read the books. Uh, there were, I won't drop any spoilers from the books, so don't worry about that. But I will say, having read the books, I can tell you by season seven, those opening credits are going to go for about 15 minutes. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> wow. I, I mean, it, 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 it's... To quote one of my favorite comedians, Paul F. Tompkins, he says, I love Game of Thrones because it's a time when my wife and I can sit together together and say, now who's that? Who's that now? <laughs> who's that one? What's his name? So, <laughs> Which is really how I feel. And I think you, you've, you've admitted to as much as sitting down with the wiki while, while you're watching oh, as well I, to I've read, remind you who's who. I've read all the books. I sit down with, there are two main wikis and, and uh, bookmark these people if you're a Game of Thrones fan. Uh, there's the Ice and Fire wiki, which is based and covers the books, and there's a Game of Thrones wiki, which only covers the TV series. So you won't get spoiled if you're on the, the Game of Thrones wiki, uh, but it's from the POV of the series. So uh, necessarily a more limited POV than than the books, which uh, I, I like to have both of them open. I also work with a woman. We read the books at the same time. We actually have a scheduled debrief every uh for me, Tuesday morning uh, after the show. And we sit there and start with, now, who was that beardy man? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) Which one now? (laughs) The white beard or? (laughs) So, Ryan, did you, as a a non-book reader, when did you get on board with Game of Thrones? I was on board right from the get-go, from episode one. I was like, this is everything I love about um, the genre. Um, You know... A lot of times for me to really enjoy something, it has to have the, the, the holy trinity, I call them, which is sex, violence, and nudity. <laughs> um, or sw- swearing, violence, and nudity, as it were. And uh, this delivers in spades. 
um you know i love the debauchery i love the um the political scheming the 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 beauty of it i mean it's shot just gorgeously um there's there's nothing i don't like about this this game of thrones i mean all, having said that the names are tough to get over and the, the places um some of the events obviously i, I just sort of let my imagination fill in. I don't know if I'm accurate when I'm thinking about them or not. But, it, uh, but it's certainly a show that rewards rewatching as well because by the time you get to the end of the season, some of that's sunk in and you can go back and go, oh, okay. Because often they do reference, there'll be a passing conversation or a minor character who does something in season episode two and who becomes a bigger player later in the in the season. So it's it's certainly worth going back with some of that knowledge but it is very dense and I mean the books are all you know they're a good kilo each the books um, so obviously oh. they condense a lot uh, in the show uh, what have what have been your highlights this season um, I, I, I love obviously Joffrey dying spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen it but <laughs> we're going to talk about the current season uh, Joffrey getting poisoned was of course the highlight <laughs> Um, but what do they call that? The, the purple, the, the white the purple wedding. wedding. The purple. So was that yeah. a shock though? Because of course everyone who watches the show had been wanting Joffrey to not only get slapped uh, repeatedly but to die. But then they actually kill him. Uh, so was it a shock? Were you like taken aback by that, or just terribly pleased? It, even after four seasons, I'm still shocked every time someone dies. Because <laughs> <laughs> in my naive little brain, you can't kill off major characters. Mm. So, yes, when that happens, and especially someone is so deliciously evil as, as, uh, as he is, I mean, to just give that up is huge. It's not something you do in television, right? You want to milk that as long as you can. Yes, and certainly um, we'd started this season... And a lot of this season has been very focused around what's going on at King's Landing. It's it's been sort of mm -hmm. the, um, you know, key point where where different characters are, are interacting. And at the centre of that has been this sort of wild card of of the chaotic evil that is Joffrey, if you like. And he was almost that. Uh, um, Thing that was causing things to unravel because you know even you know his mother couldn't was had realized she couldn't control him and I think even his you know Tywin the the patriarch of the Lannisters I think you know knew that he was you know even he was going to have trouble controlling Joffrey and at a time when all these different factions and families and regions are at war uh, and there's a lot of political manoeuvring, the last scene, thing you need at the centre of that is mad psycho teenage boy. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> fine by me. I'm happy to get rid of him. <laughs> I'm much rather happy seeing nice people doing nice things than evil people doing evil things, to be honest with you. Um, but but great um on that same vein it, it's sad to see when characters that you really in, like and are enjoying get killed off or get dispatched i'm thinking theon Greyjoy myself you know i thought what a great character he was he was interesting to watch and had an interesting backstory and all of a sudden he becomes a gimp <laughs> really has nothing interesting well not interesting but just takes away from that enjoyment factor of of seeing someone do cool things. Hey, it seems like no one gets ahead in the show. I mean, it, you want Jamie Lannister to go home and and be a big success, or you know, 
patch up ties with his family and he goes home and he falls deeper into despair and is hated and used and abused and doesn't want to fight anymore and think okay well he didn't get any further ahead or Sansa Stark all of a sudden, now Joffrey's dead thank god but where is she she's now stuck in you know a far off land where she doesn't want to be so it doesn't seem like anybody's really progressing for the better. There are no, there are no happy endings or happy middles in uh, in Game yeah. of Thrones, and I do have to say, after after six books, you sort of wonder why George Martin is such a miserable bastard that he won't let one yeah. character have, you know, a little happy path. And on the other hand, there's also every time you start sort of trying to find a character that you you know, is your safe space, is your friend, is the good character, they go and do something fucking awful. So um, it uh, it reminds me a little bit, and it's probably a strange comparison for some people, but it reminds me a bit of Battlestar Galactica in that way, which was also a show where, uh, you know, there was huge... uh, grey moral areas and and every time you had a favourite character they would then go and um, throw someone out in an airlock or (laughs) commit genocide or something and I like that as an audience member I like being uncomfortable um, because it it keeps me questioning you know oh gee Arya oh she's a little tomboy with a sword and then you know a few episodes later she's buddies with the hound and she's enjoying killing people um, right. So you have to keep re-examining how you connected with that character, and you're confronted with, you know, again and again this this world that they live in that that is so harsh and unforgiving. And then I find myself cheering on the guys who should be the bad guys. Jamie Lannister, for instance, should be a bad guy. He pushed Bran Stark out a window to kill a, a little kid. Um, that was Bran, wasn't yes, it? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yet now we're on his side and he's the underdog and, you know, you want him to succeed and do well. I, 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 it's just, it really blurs the lines of good guy, bad guy, <laughs> happy ending, protagonist, antagonist. Uh, same with the hound. I mean, we're supposed to hate the hound, but now all of a sudden he grows up. So. He does. And that scene in the, um, in the, in the tavern, um, <laughs> When he's, you know, confronted by these people who want to kill him and he just wants more fucking chicken uh, was absolutely right. a gorgeous piece of comedy. And again, we've had, look, you know, the, one of the reasons everyone loves the character of Arya is because she's played by Maisie Williams, who is a young actor who is extraordinary. And we saw her with mm. uh, in pre- the previous season with uh, her scenes with Charles Dance, uh, Tywin Lannister, which was something that wasn't in the book, but thank God they wrote them into the TV show because the interaction between them two was was just gold. And again, you've got her here with, um, you know, playing against this much older, more experienced actor and holding her own in a way that's I you know is quite extraordinary and the two you know Arya and the Hound scenes together are just are just priceless she's really talented yeah she's really good um Charles Dance I totally didn't even realize until yesterday that he was the he was the bad guy in Last Action Hero yes do you remember that yeah I totally didn't know that it was the same guy. I mean, I, I was looking at him like I know I recognize him, but didn't remember from where. He had like the glass eyes, 
uh, in Last Action Hero. And he, yeah, he he's just been totally owning this season too. But at the same time as, you know, we've seen Tywin over the last couple of seasons go from being the sort of implacable patriarch who can move all the pieces on the chessboard to starting to see those things unravel. And I loved in the uh, recent episode we had, you know, even the the mundane practicalities of the fact that they're running out of money. You know, they've, mm-hmm. they've got to go and, you know, they've got to go and get a loan. And, uh, you know, it takes it away from that purely, this is all about, you know, sword fighting and epic politics and everything to, um, you know, how do you keep your kingdom going? There are some real, you know, day-to-day things you have to deal with. Including alliancing with or relying with other kingdoms that you don't necessarily like and marrying your, your kids off together, which is what they have had to do and still have to do with uh, with um, the other faction. Now, tell me, what is in the book that's not in the show? Um, look, I think one of the... I'll go, I'll go back to one... It's having read the books you still get surprised on the show. Like, even knowing Joffrey was going to die, that whole episode and the tension that they build up isn't... I mean, it's obviously changed because I know the outcome, but it's still not diminished, and I think the adaptation they've done is brilliant. One of the big things they've had to struggle with, and I do think we see it to some detriment this season, is the timelines in the book. So... Um, to start with, the very first season of Game of Thrones is almost identical to the book. Um, but as things go on, George Martin starts writing things where you'll get, you know, half a book on one story and then you'll move to another story. And so you can't do that in a TV show. You need to show what events are happening sort of concurrently. The story around Theon is is, is one of those that I think has suffered because in the in the book's he disappears when King's Landing is sacked and then you don't see hear from him for three books. So there's nothing. You, mm. you just think he's dead right. or whatever. Then he reappears in, as Reek in this wrecked form uh, and you get some flashbacks to explain, you know, the horrible things that happened to him. Now, they couldn't do that in the TV show. So we had, you know, last season what many people found rather either distasteful and or tedious uh, torture scenes with Theon. He hasn't had a lot to do this season as well, and partly that's just to you know, keep him live, in, so to speak, in the story. Um, same with Daenerys. You know, she really hasn't had a huge amount of story this season, and that's because, you know, in the books we're dealing with a part where all the action's in King's Landing and all the other stories sort of go into stasis for a while. Uh, It's one of the frustrations Mm. reading the books because you'll have a a section with one of your favourite characters, like Arya, and then you'll have, you know, 50,000 words with Davos, you know, the Iron Knight, the Onion Knight, who you could care less about. Um, Mm -hmm. I would love someone to do a supercut of the books. It's just all Arya's story. Uh, now, I think that the TV show has done well in, in bringing things forward. So we're now actually mixing up books three, four and five to some extent. Um, but I do think it's shown a bit this season where you've got a lot of action in King's Landing and the stuff that's happening at the wall uh, with with Theon and also at Mirren uh, with, with Daenerys have, have been sort of not a lot happening. Um, and that sort of to 
it's it's fine, but it is a bit to the detriment of those those stories, I think. But probably not something you notice if you haven't read the books. Interesting. So, but nothing like are there new characters that don't exist in the book? Um, probably some minor ones. It's more also been there's been some things changed. Probably the major stuff, and it's not really that major, I suppose, has been brand uh, brand storyline, uh, where. Again, in the books, he spends a lot of time with Hodor and the uh, um, others trudging through the snow. <laughs> uh, and there's a lot of interior stuff and a lot more about the sort of visions he's having and the magic, which is, is more difficult to do um, on screen, of course. Uh, but there's none of this, uh, you know, him intersecting with the Night's Watcher at Craster's Keep and, you know, seeing his brother Jon Snow only a few metres away. None of that happens. Um, so that was quite different in a way. Again, not earth-shatteringly different. Uh, and it's those small sort of changes that I think are being made to have, you know, moments of drama which aren't in the book because, you know, to be honest, George Martin could have done with an editor at some time. <laughs> right, so, yeah, they're, they're the main things. I suppose the most controversial thing this season too was, um, well, it started back with, in the books, Jamie and Brienne don't return to King's Landing until after Joffrey's died. So in, in the TV show, they've they've come back oh. well before the, the wedding, whereas in the books, he turns up after uh, Joffrey's dead. Uh, so that has a bigger impact in that his really his first meeting with Cersei is next to Joffrey, next to their son's corpse in the um in the church. And right. so that obviously has changed because he's been hanging around for a while. Um and then you have the scene in the church which Sorry, it, it just just let me go back. Is that the part where they have the incest sex in yes. the cathedral next to their dead incest <laughs> son? That would be Okay, just checking. Well sorry, incest yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> would be it and and i think uh-huh. uh, one reason that that scene caused a lot of controversy was <laughs> so, <laughs> besides, the, besides obvious. the obvious well because it does quite in the in the books you know jamie's returned you know he, he's been through this horrible uh both horrible experience and lost his hand but he's also been going through this journey of of, of rediscovering an identity that's outside of King's Landing and Cersei. Uh, you know, he's really changed in his time on the road with with Brienne and this, you know, he's back to King's Landing to face who is he going to be now? He's not, you know, the golden child. Now he just has a golden hand, um, which he doesn't right. have at this point. And so when he sees, and, and Joffrey's dead and he sees Cersei, they have sex next to their dead incest son. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's, it's consensual because they've, you know, and they've both been, you know, sort of longing for each other uh, all this time and not knowing what's happening. The fact that they changed that to to a rape scene in the series, I think, as you said, for many people, uh, Jamie's become the closest thing we have to at least a sympathetic character, uh, you know, and particularly his relationship with Brienne has been something that people have, have, have loved, these, you know, a classic odd couple on the road. Um, And so I think it really threw people uh, for him to behave that way. And also I think it wasn't helped by comments from um, people involved with the show that they didn't think it was unconsensual sex. Uh, But also it then 
it wasn't dealt with afterwards. So uh, Cersei and Jamie's relationship continues in a way as if that hadn't happened. Uh, so I think it was a slightly awkward, uh, to say the least, moment and didn't seem consistent with where Jamie had been, character had been going, and also where Cersei's character had been going. Um, but that's that, and that was probably the the most controversial deviation uh, from the books. No, had you read the books before the show started? No, I got on board after season okay. one. Oh, all right. So you went. Well, back yeah, mainly because yeah. I got to the end of season one and I couldn't bear waiting to know what happened next. <laughs> right. Um. Uh, it, it's it's really a huge undertaking this this show. I mean, if you just look at the cast, it's it's enormously huge. The amount of people that they have, the day players, the actors, they film all over the world. You know, they film in three different continents. Yeah. I think. I know that they're filming in Ireland and Scotland and in Iceland and North Africa. Um, it, I don't understand how they can do this. I mean, the 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 organization it must take to get this together is just immense absolutely immense i mean how does a does a director have to direct for you know four days in north africa and then fly to iceland to do the other half uh i suppose they do but geez that's that's a lot of crew that's a lot of uh a lot of actors and moving around it's pretty cool oh uh, it's i mean it's pretty amazing for television i mean uh, you obviously have experience of filming uh what it's like filming a tv show just in Vancouver, can you imagine right. having to shift that? And, and as you said, it's also got a huge cast and it's also, um, you know, the set dressing and everything. Uh, I mean, I think one of the things that's really given the show, uh, you know, such depth is, is, is you know, the visual richness of it. Uh, George Martin's known for having pages devoted to food scenes uh, and descriptions of food, uh, also descriptions of everything from people's armour. And you can't do that on the show, but you can show it. And, you know, there, is, there are points where you'll just have a, someone walks through a kitchen or a, a feast and you just think of how much time and effort has gone into creating uh what what we see i mean you can go back and just the the detail is absolutely incredible and to think that they're doing all that as you said on three different continents uh and getting amazing performances out of this really you know incredible cast is um it's something we've never seen on television of this scale before no hopefully we see more of these because it must be working they must be making money and be it's very successful people love this show so well it's become let's hope that it goes in that direction surprised me now you and i are both um are both geeks i think we can come out about that we're, we're the sort of mm -hmm. audience that initially you might think this sort of show is is aimed at but this has really grown beyond the sort of people who would normally w read a fantasy novel or watch a sort of sword and sorcery movie uh you know it has become the water cooler uh show i know at my workplace i can walk walk into the tea room and the diversity of people talking about it just blows me away um you know i, I often say it's it's become like you know it's the downton abbey with you know swords and boobs mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but it really it yeah. really seems to have captured you know such a, a a huge range of people watching it despite the fact that as we've said it is complex to watch it's hard to keep track of you know who who's related to who and who screwed who over or who screwed who last season um yeah. Yeah. It, it's not easy watching 
No. No, I, I can only imagine that their wiki editor is busy 24-7. <laughs> um, Michelle McLaren has directed four episodes uh, now, yes. um, knocking it out of the park, in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, people will know her, I mean, particularly most recently from uh, her work on Breaking Bad, and I think there's um, absolutely no doubt that she's the most exciting director on, on TV at the moment. Uh, it's also had some other great directors, including the legendary David Nutter, who people will know mm. from directing just about every successful TV pilot over the last couple of decades. Yeah, yeah, he directs everything. Um, Michelle McLaren, Canadian girl. Oh, is she? I did not know that. She is, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she's part of the um, Canadian Directors Guild, I believe. Well, you can claim her. Okay, claim well, her I mean, then. we could go through every... <laughs> Yeah, we could go through every single person and talk about them in the show, but I don't think that's going to get us anywhere other than a really long podcast. But, I mean, Peter Dinklage is amazing. Um, can you imagine anyone else playing that role? No, I mean, he's, again, uh, I mean, and Tyrion is a, a central character in the books and the casting of of that role in particular, I think, was, was always going to... Uh, I won't say the show's success was going to depend on it, but someone who can turn, uh, you know, create a character of such power, but also of such, uh, in moments of such vulnerability, uh, has just elevated, elevated him. And he's seen um, some of the, you know, basically with everyone he acts with, but uh, I think most recently when he's been in, in the dungeon and he had a wonderful scene with his uh, cell sword brawn um and then mm. there's another wonderful scene with uh the very very sexy oberon martel <laughs> right um you know the those scenes were were just amazing and uh, there's that particular one which is almost more an oberon scene where he talks about having uh seen Tyrion when he was a baby and and, and Cersei you know calling mm -hmm, him a monster mm -hmm. and 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 sort of tormenting him and you know just that scene alone is you know really worth the price of admission and and when you see the effect that's having on Tyrion I should say I just saw um Peter Dinklage uh, in the, the latest X-Men movie. Uh, very different role, but again, absolutely knocks it out of the park, uh, which is pretty hard when you're one of the few human characters amongst a, a cast of mutants. Yeah, um, yeah. Sporting uh, so very, very nice 70s uh, hair and mo. Uh, lovely mm. porn stash work going on there, but uh, yeah, absolutely fantastic in that. Now, was that a role of a little person? No. No. Oh, okay. uh, although there is, interestingly, I mean, I think the casting uh, works, there's subtext there because he plays Trask, who's a, a character who's trying to invent things to uh, exterminate the mutants. And I think there is a subtext mm -hmm. uh, there about, you know, what's con what we consider normal in society and what variations we will accept. And, and although it's entirely unspoken you could you view his character quite differently than you would have in the comics because you're looking at him thinking yes and to you know the re society you are yourself viewed as a mutant so there was interesting subtext there but it's certainly not part of the text of the of the movie uh, i know you're not an x-men fan but i have to say this movie really kicked ass for me but that's was it better than the last one? Uh, I think so, and I really enjoyed First Class. Uh, See, I didn't really enjoy First okay, Class. Okay, well, you wouldn't enjoy this then. Uh... <laughs> Perfect. Don't need to watch it. Okay, we're going to move on, but I got one quiz for you. 
Who is the hottest person on the show? Guy or girl? Or both? Pick one oh, of them. Can you go first? Yes. Okay. Um, Jon Snow's girlfriend from last I, year. Yes, yes, he great. Yes. Um, and probably Jamie Lannister on the guy side. Oh, okay. Um, oh, it's a hard one. I, I definitely liked... I'll go, just to do a different... I'll go... Oh, now, if I'm going to forget her name, because she does have a different name in the book. Theon's sister. Uh, she, I think she's Oisha or um, Asha in the in the TV series. Um, definitely her. Uh, although she and a Greek together would be going to my happy place. Um, <laughs> guys, oh, that's a hard one. They're all sort of... Oh, look, I'll go something out of the box and I'll go uh, someone we've just met, a character who's been recast three times now, uh, and I'll go for the mountain. Oh, right, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, if I'm going to go guy, I'm going to go all the way. <laughs> That's all the way, yeah. Uh, where they find these people. Um, oh, I should have thrown Brienne in there. Although I think I want to... Yeah, do you like her? Um, yes, I do. I think, I, I think yeah, she's I do too. quite, I do too. I like uh, again... Um, extraordinary actor and, um, you know, so striking to look at. And it is something about this show that has done uh, amazing casting just on the, the visual look of people. Obviously, a lot of them get mm-hmm. transformed uh, and floating around the internet, you will find photos of people, you know, what they look like on Game of Thrones and what they look like in real yeah. life. <laughs> yes. They're good at uglying people up. But, yeah, um, I can't, Gwen, I can't remember her last name, who plays Brienne, I think is um, Gwendolyn Christie, her name there is. There you yeah. go. She's quite extraordinary, yeah. and she's done. If you have a look around the internet, some amazing photo shoots as well. Um, now, Theon Greyjoy, Alfie Allen, he looks like a young um, um, Mick Jagger, right? Yeah. Really? No, really? I think that's in your head. No, I don't see that at all. No. Really? <laughs> okay. I'm gonna have to find some pictures and send them to you. <laughs> And of course, I think he's the spitting image, the exact spitting. The image. thing that people don't real often get shocked about is he's Lily Allen's brother. For what that's worth. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Care factor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, uh, we've only got. I think we've got three episodes left of Game of Thrones. Uh, there's, we know there'll be shit to come. I'm, I'm. Ex- so excited to see where they end this season um, and where they pick up the next season. Uh, it's uh, obviously, I think they've been, they've got uh, pickups for the next three seasons already. The big fear, of course, yeah. of everyone is that they're going to catch up to the point where the books have already finished uh, or that George Martin will die before <laughs> they get to the right. end. But uh, apparently he's had uh, talks with the showrunners and uh, they know where it's going. Cool. Very awesome. Okay, do you want to move on to our next yes, show? very different show. All right, why don't you tell us what we're looking at? We're looking at Dusk Till Dawn. Sometimes, even the worst kind of brutality has its place. What place is that? Place of dead roads. I stopped before hell. What do you want, Kate? I need you to get us out of here. Tonight is the night. Make sure that everyone is ready. Richie. 
now Dust Till Dawn started life as a movie, 1996 movie, Tarantino uh, and Rodriguez. Uh, I'm sure you watched the movie at the time. I didn't. And I haven't. Oh, God! It's <laughs> I like know. With Isn't Fargo. that weird? I don't know what why. You doing with your... know. You're making really poor life choices, Ryan. <laughs> I really am. I'm too busy watching TV. Okay, so this it was an interesting movie because it came out at a time when Tarantino's star was pretty high in the sky, um, you know, after things like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. I'm not sure if the first Kill Bill movie had been out at that time. I don't think... Well, what I, what I read today was that he had written the script before Pulp Fiction mm. came out. And he wrote it in a style. We'll get we'll get to this, but essentially, what it is is it starts off as a crime drama and becomes a supernatural thriller yeah. halfway through the movie. And no one would touch it with a ten foot pole. They said you can't sell it. It's it's crap. It's it doesn't make sense. There's no genre to it, and nobody would touch mm. it until Pulp Fiction came out. And then, of course, everyone wanted. Yeah, it. it probably could have done with a little bit more time in development. It's a movie that I liked. Mm. Look, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie, and it is one I watch again. It starred, and this is, you're going to know this was a mistake, it starred Tarantino and George Clooney. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, it was a bit of a hot mess, to be honest, but it's heaps of fun and captured, you know, something both Tarantino and particularly Rodriguez um, you know, we're really trying to get is that grindhouse style, uh, hyper-realism and um, mashing up of, of genres like this. So Rodriguez has picked this up. He's now got his own cable network called El Rey, which is basically showing um, the most amazing mix of, of things from sort of, you know, martial arts movies, reruns of Dark Angel. <laughs> it's... Yeah. Uh, and particularly aimed, I mean, I think he said it's it sort of English-speaking people uh, of Mexican descent in the, in the US, and this is their first uh, original drama. So obviously not having seen the movie, what did you think of Dusk Till Dawn? Well, I've watched through till about episode eight at this point. Um, the first couple episodes, I mean, the first episode I loved, I thought was, was brilliant. Um, well, loved is a strong word. I, I really liked it. I enjoyed how fresh it was. It was different. Um, it was an awesome role for Don Johnson playing, you know, a Texas Ranger, mm-hmm. um, which, of course, he's never done before. Um, but I, it was a bit of a bottle episode in that it takes place during this robbery, and we sort of flash out of the robbery to get a bit of backstory as to how they got there, but there's not a whole lot of information leading up to it, which I, I thought was kind of nice. Um, you know what? I've, I've really grown to like the show, to be honest with you, uh, on episode eight. I'm, I'm right with the plot. Um, I think when our two main characters, uh, the Gecko brothers, um, who are played by um, DJ Contor... What's his name? Cotrona? Sounds right. And... TJ Katrona and Zane Holtz, uh, Seth and Richie Gecko, uh, two bank robbers on the run um, that stop and, and rob this, uh, this store where they run into two Texas Rangers, um, one played by Don Johnson and the other one played by uh, Jesse Garcia. Uh, shit goes down. They sort of separate. I, I felt like the story really picked up when the Gecko brothers got together with the preacher and his kids who are 
on the run from something, we're not sure exactly what, in their motorhome. They sort of run into each other and join up and, and go to head to Mexico. That's when I really feel like, okay, I'm, I'm with this. I see, I see where this is going. Up until then, I was a bit, I was a bit cold on it. I wasn't sure. Yeah, I, look, I have to say, I'm, I'm not, I think I'm up to episode five or six at the moment, uh, and I feel now it's got to Mexico, um, and, oh, what's the name of the wonderful bar there? The Titty Twister. The Titty Twister. <laughs> uh, it's sort of all coming together and taking off. Uh, like you, I love the, the first episode, uh, which really plays as, uh, as, you, as, as the film did, it really plays almost as a straight crime thriller, uh, you know, a hold-up hostage-type show, although there are these little hints of things not quite of this world. Um, I found it really slow in a way, and, you know, I'm happy with slow, but I the first few episodes I felt it was taking its time for no particular good reason. Uh, so I was a little, and maybe I was a bit frustrated in wanting and maybe I was coloured by having seen the movie and wanting a bit more of the, uh, I don't know if you call it magic realism or the supernatural of that we get later on. So, yeah, it's taken me a while to get, I, I mean, I'll keep watching it. I'm not, there's a lot to like about it, but it's, I'm finding it hard to connect with it as something I'm, it's not one of those shows I put on and sit down and, you know, can't be distracted while I'm watching. Uh Shows uh, the performances are good. Uh, the look of it's wonderful. It's very. Uh, I, I'm assuming it's done on film. Very uh, desaturated look. You can almost uh, feel the dust and smell the heat. Mm-hmm. You can smell heat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love the look of it. Uh, love how it's filmed. But yeah, I'm just feeling a little cool towards it. Yeah, and I was too until I got to until about the time when they crossed the border. And they got to the titty twister, and that's when shit gets real, uh, or unreal as it were. Um, and that's when that's when stuff started being like, oh damn. And then it sort of comes together for me at that point. Um, keep watching. I, I think you're gonna. I think you're gonna like what happens. I, although I do have to say, this Mexican roadhouse that they went to is probably the most civil stripper bar I've ever seen. <laughs> and you've seen a few. <laughs> did, yeah, I've seen quite a few. Have you seen the? Did you see the inside yes. of it yet? Yes. <laughs> Very civil. A lot of clothed uh, women in there. <laughs> I've seen rougher stripper bars in Vancouver, for God's sake. Sure, of course, yeah. Uh, but um, it, I mean, it looks it looks nice. Like what you're saying, the the look of it oh. is is great. What did you think about the casting of uh, Wilmer Vandorella, um as the uh, <clears throat> sort of head honcho uh, bad guy? Um, fine. I mean, I. Yeah, uh, works for me. Not excited. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what about you? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was, I was expecting more. I, I think it's kind of fell a bit flat his performance. Mm. But uh, Robert Patrick, oh, who, who plays yeah. the preacher and the dad, has been awesome. Yes. Uh, um, and you haven't? Have you seen Jake Busey yet? No. <laughs> You'll love oh, him. Uh, he's, he's got a great. Uh, sort of undercover operation that he goes as and he calls himself sex machine <laughs> and he's got a cod piece that shoots bullets okay now i'm see that's the sort of <laughs> you know because uh, i love rodriguez's grindhouse movie and um that's the sort of 
I was expecting perhaps, given that it's his baby on his network, I was perhaps expecting a little bit more of of that. Um, so I will certainly be hanging out to see bullet shooting pod piece. Uh, that's Absolutely. that said, there is some you know there's some wonderful tension. There's uh, wonderful is not the right word. There's a horrible sequence that goes over a couple of episodes with a bank teller that they take hostage, and and uh-huh. part of the Part of the drama, certainly in the first half dozen episodes, is is that um, you know one of the Gecko brothers. It's unclear whether he's losing his mind or he's you know seeing things from another realm or whatever. And the tension, again, a little bit like Joffrey, you know, when you've got that unpredictable violence in the centre of something, you know, that point of chaos and never knowing when it's going to explode or how it's going to explode, it's a, it, it well done, it builds the tension. And, and I think that for me, you know, that certainly, it was horrible to watch this poor woman being held hostage. But at the same time, I love the fact that, uh, you know, she's a strong character and she's fighting for her survival in this situation. But, you know, she is up against this this person who you know is certainly beyond being you know reasoned with or anything and i think um i think it is he's played by zane holtz i think and yeah richie richie yeah. gecko the uh, the brother with the glasses yes. he's uh, actually a vancouver oh. actor, that guy. <laughs> yeah. uh well he's great um i mean it's a horrible terrible role uh again like yeah. joffrey uh but he's wonderful and that sequence was was fantastic a bit like the tension they build up in that first episode with uh, with what's going mm-hmm. on in the uh, the robbery that's sort of the instigating factor for all of this so mm-hmm. again look i like it because it's the sort of stuff you don't normally see on tv uh that's true it, it captures a bit of the hot mess that the movie was as well um i think there's a lot it could do a lot better but um you know i'd much rather watch half a dozen episodes of this than an episode of CSI anything. <laughs> right. Um, what did you think about the kids? Um, Madison Davenport and Brandon, so who, who play the, the preacher's well, kids? Um, I've warmed to the daughter a bit, but I don't particularly think the casting works for me. I think the, the son, who's had a lot less to do, though, is, is, is quite good. What about you? Um, yeah, I've, I've, liked them, I've liked them both, actually. I think uh, she's, she's a good little actress. Kind of reminds me of an actress in another show that we'll review not too far down the line. So that's what it was a bit of a, a parallel, and I thought, oh, they're kind of the same person, but uh, but decent. I, I I thought I thought she was good. I really like the the young um um cop guy. Sorry, not cop. The young yes. ranger, Freddie Gonzalez, uh, played by Jesse Garcia. I think he's Amazing. awesome. He does a really good job. Really slow burn and and. Uh, this sort of quiet anger about him he's uh he was really really quite good and I, I don't know that i've seen him in much before no and, and look i would have uh, i suppose you know getting down to picking things apart i would have liked more from his pov because he's certainly the he's the character we enter the story with uh and particularly strong in you know in that first episode uh and i would have you know as it went on and he's you know, chasing these guys. I, I would have liked more of that, probably because I've bonded with the character. Um, and maybe that's something I need from a story like this, when you're, particularly when you're dealing with uh, confronting characters and, and this horribleness is at least to have, uh, 
you know, someone I feel, you know, a little more familiar or safe with. And as we said, in things like Game of Thrones, it's all relative. <laughs> um, yes. But, yeah, I would have... Oh, and as you say, he's also... He's a, he's a really great actor. And I think the other thing about this show is the fun of it, um, that in the middle of what you think is, you know, this sort of uh, set round the border, you know, crime, ranger, drama... Then someone has these big snake-like fangs come out and they right. they suck the life out of someone. And it's a nice twist on, uh, you know, we're getting to the point now where there's not that many variations on the vampire stories. The, well, if you're going to tell a vampire story, I should say, these days, you really need to have an original take on it. And this is using a lot of uh, South American mythology around this. Uh, so that gives mm-hmm. it a really nice uh, new angle on it and uh, means that you can't expect how things are going to play out. This is not the old, oh, yes, I know vampires and I know how you kill them and what they do. Some of that carries right. over, but uh, so you're at least sort of familiar, but really these are very different creatures. Yes, <laughs> figuratively and literally. Yes. <laughs> um, one of the things that ticked me off was I think it was in the second or the third episode when we're at the young um, the young um, ranger's house and he's there with his wife and they have the baby. Yeah, Do you remember yeah. this scene? And where was the baby? Oh no! So he's sitting at the table talking with his wife and the baby is sitting in a car seat on the floor, and I'm thinking that is the weirdest thing and that really bugs the heck out of me. And I don't know if. You know, they maybe on set they just got the baby to fall asleep, so they're like, "Okay, quick, put the car seat on the floor." But there was nothing else in the room that was baby, like no baby oh, carriage or toys okay. or you know, playpen or anything like that. It was, I don't know why I'm just being. No, picky, no, but that was just something I saw. I made a note about it. The the baby thing that that ticked me off. Um, they're the sort of things that can throw you out of a story, uh, and it's they not. Can. I mean, it's interesting talking about visual styles as well because this is a a stro- show with a strong visual style. But we've just been talking about Game of Thrones where honestly you could sit and look at a screen cap for an hour or more picking apart all the detail in it this is not that sort of show this is big splashy as you say you go into you know a bar on the south of the border called the titty twister and you know it it looks a bit like uh you know a burger king in vancouver not that going a bit far but you know (laughs) it's it's not going for the fine level of detail uh in, in the visuals the visuals are on you know, a different scale, which is interesting. So, you know, I, de- I doubt that they cared. <laughs> but, you know, it, those things matter if they throw you out of the story. Um, That's just me being picky. And one of the I, – I went and looked at the uh, IMDb, as I, I tend to do, and looked at the visual effects department, and they had something like 40 or <gasps> 50 visual effects artists working on the show. And up until episode seven, I was like, "What are they doing? <laughs> what are they doing?" Aside from uh, some I mean, snake eyes and uh, yeah, a couple of images. Gee, that's a that'd be a good gig to have. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, there might even be more. I mean, there's just a ton of them. They take up two pages on IMDb of visual effects artists. So I thought that was interesting. Anyways, well, yeah, because um, you wouldn't think. Also, <laughs> I suppose I don't know how, and you might know more be able to spot more how much they're doing you know with the 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 landscapes and the buildings and all that sort of stuff but most of that 
I don't know, maybe they're doing the neon sign on the Chitty Twister or something. Well, they are, yeah. for sure. I don't think there's, there's probably not much of that bar left other than the doorway, but it just seems... I, I think one of the reasons might have been, um, like, this it premieres on the El Rey Network in the States, but in Canada, and I think in other countries, it went right to Netflix. All ten episodes right to Netflix. So I think instead of taking their time and doing one and releasing it for yeah. a week and doing another, <laughs> they sort of went through and wanted them all done at the same time. So if you're going to do that, you need to have a much bigger staff okay. that can yeah. do whatever it is, 600 shots yeah. in. So they've used the they've used 40 people over two months rather than using 10 people over 10 months or something. Exactly. Right. Yeah, that, that's my guess, anyways. But I just looked at the names. I'm like, my lord. <laughs> That's a lot of folk. <laughs> well, it's a big investment for, you know, basically what's a vanity project, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but, you know, this is a one-man outfit in some ways. Um, that makes it sound a little cowboy. Um, but uh, it's, you know, the first original series from this network that most people haven't heard of. Obviously, things like getting a deal with Netflix, uh, again, talking about this new sort of a rising business model, um, probably gave them some stake in in you know, being able to produce it. So um, it'll it'll be interesting. It's been renewed for a second season. So uh, look, definitely one worth getting on board with. It's a really good sort of Saturday night watch, I reckon. You know, it's a Uh sit down with some beer and wings and, you know, have have some fun. Yeah, yeah, it's nothing to get into too seriously, but I've I've enjoyed the episodes. I'm looking forward to the last three, and uh, I'll definitely watch season two when it comes out. And go and watch the movie. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should do after that the after. first season's finished, because the first season is basically the movie. Yeah. Uh, from what I understand, the ending's different, but um, that was interesting for me as well because I kept thinking, oh, they'll they'll use the starting point the same, and then they'll go off quite differently. And there are lots of points of deviation from the movie, but the story is basically the same. Uh, so I'll be interested to see where where they go to in season two. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'll I'll watch the movie after. I'll let you know what I think. Uh, and the other thing is, I think it's also one thing we're getting. F- and this is a really good case in point, it's the sort of show that would never make it on a network uh, or even a cable station. This is really, you know, it's a voice that wouldn't get a chance to get heard. And, you know, I think that's the thing that excites me about, you know, as as the way we make TV shows expands a lot, is that you do get a chance to see a couple of seasons of something like this. Yeah, I mean... I mean, I could see this having a, a home on a Showtime or or a Stars or something like stars, that. Stars, but... maybe, yeah. We love Stars. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's interesting, and we'll see. Maybe more good stuff will come on El Rey as well. I mean, that's a, a completely possible. Well, I think it's also about having the chance to make bad stuff as much as, you know, we mm-hmm. see a lot on the networks, particularly these days, you know, shows get up, you get three or four episodes, doesn't rate, they drop it. Uh, you know, the idea that you make something and you make all ten episodes and it airs sort of regardless and you get the, it gets a chance to get out there. Um, even if it's a failure and it doesn't go on, I like to think that, you know, there are people involved with that and whether, you know, particularly the writers and showrunners, but also everyone else who has a, you know, a part of it gets a chance to do that. And and I think it's opening up those opportunities um, from, you know, what at one point was quite a restrictive 
model, if you like, of, you know, who gets in the door and who gets what made, you know, uh, like the changes, you know, in the studio system, which swing back and forth over the decades with movies. Um, so, yeah, give Dust Till Dawn a watch. Watch it after Game of Thrones <laughs> when your brain what? when your brain is hurting from all the beardy men <laughs> and working out which Starks were married to which, uh, you know, Tyrells. And uh, uh, you can uh, watch Dust Till Dawn and not have to worry too much. Yeah, and if you're in Canada, you can just watch it right on Netflix. Yes, or, or if you're and in I wonder, Australia. I... Or if you have certain means. I wonder if they'll put it on American Netflix rather sooner than later. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, once it once Maybe. it finishes, you would you would think I, as uh, I you know Ryan, I was surprised that uh, I have um, access to US Netflix and it wasn't on there. And then you told me it was on Canadian Netflix. So obviously not on the US one because it's airing on on the El Rey network there. But uh, you'd think it'd get picked up um, pretty quickly. If they've got a deal, which is which is the same story for the show that we'll be reviewing next week on TV Chinway, which is which is the one hundred. <laughs> Full first season is on Netflix in Canada, not in mm. the states. Not sure and that's why. really not interesting. Uh, that which is a the one uh, way of showing things, and that's a um, uh, CW show which I have thoroughly enjoyed and can't wait to talk about. And also next week we'll be reviewing a television HBO show, which is new this season, called Silicon Valley. Yes, bit of a contrast those two shows. So um... yeah. no, we're not we're not picking them to be together. We're just picking them. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for listening, everyone. I've been Jules. I've been Ryan, and I hope to be in the future. I hope to be someone else next week. We'll see. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please consider giving us a review on iTunes. Send email to fans at tvchinwag.com or follow on Twitter at tvchinwag. Music for this podcast provided by YouTube Music. For Ryan, Jules, and myself, Rich Rubin, thanks for listening to TV Chinwag. She's got great timing. Just a moment. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead.